0: Welcome to Family Bible Hour, a broadcast of the Sunday morning worship services of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. Will you take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5? We're going to look at verses 27 through 37 today. We're in a study of the Sermon on the Mount and probably another week in that study we'll have the Musical next Sunday, and then I'll give you another installment, and then probably a couple of weeks uh, of Christmas uh, messages because it is that time of year. But we're at the place in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is going to raise the bar. Let's talk about that a minute. To raise the bar means that someone uh, or something must be done better than it was done uh, before. Over the years, there have been key sports figures who have raised the bar. Since it's Basketball Sunday, I will tell you that I believe that Michael Jordan raised the bar. There are people who would say that at his time, Larry Bird <coughs> raised the bar. And there are uh, many basketball players along the way who have raised the bar and other athletes who have raised the bar. In politics, I'm, I'm a, a conservative, as uh, you most of you know or might expect, And as in politics, I believe that Ronald Reagan raised the bar. I believe that that he raised the bar to a new kind of of leadership in uh, presidential leadership. Certainly in technology, Steve Jobs uh, raised the bar. For years, my son Paul tried his best to get me to become an Apple guy. And I just wouldn't become an Apple guy. I just uh, wouldn't do it. And uh, I still, my laptop is... uh, uh, uses Windows and and my desktop at home uses Windows and those kinds of things, but I've become an Apple guy, and uh, because uh, uh, he is he has just uh, raised the bar today. Um, I I use for my notes uh, an iPad, and uh, that's just uh, a lot easier for me, and it's it's very portable. And uh, today in the auditorium, if you want to go along with or follow along the message. Uh, You can take your Apple device or other devices that you might have and uh, follow along uh, in the message today. That information is given to you on your Sunday card as to how to log in and uh, follow the outline today and make your own notes. And a lot of that was because that Steve Jobs raised uh, the bar. Uh, Cal Ripken raised the bar in in, uh, baseball. And then (laughs) there's a guy named Joey Chestnut. Uh, How many of you know who Joey Chestnut is? Would you raise your hand? Yeah, Joey Chestnut raised the bar in the hot dog eating contest at uh, Coney Island, and uh, he became the standards. Raising the bar is always a good thing, or at least it should be a good thing if you're raising the bar for something good. But it's also a, a bit ominous. And this morning, I want to show you three ways that Jesus raised the bar for everyone who follows him. Not just for some, but for everyone. This is going to be very interesting, and it could be a little scary. Starting with Matthew chapter 5 and verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, uh, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your uh, whole body goes to hell. There are few subjects are more serious or more relevant in today's society, yesterday's society, or any society. There are few subjects more relevant than the subject of morality or immorality. I'm not one of those people that splits hair over the word adultery there are a lot of people that will split hairs over the word adultery and they'll say well is it adultery is it fornication and so forth Uh, and and the reason that I don't split hairs is because I believe the scripture forbids all forms of immorality now Jesus spoke to the crowd that was before him but his teachings would reach through the centuries and would reach to you and to me so while he was talking To them he was speaking for us or something that would benefit us if we think jesus would forbid adultery but he would condone uh, pornography we're probably not serious in our understanding of the bible when jesus talks about adultery and then he supports it with other things throughout the word of god clearly this is a matter of morality in general the whole point of this part of the sermon on the mount is to raise the bar the whole point is to cause people to see things better To see things more clearly than they had been seeing them and just because mankind continues to figure out new ways to offend uh, does not mean that it is not covered in the words of Jesus specifically uh, the Word of God in in the the things that the Bible has to say about adultery and that's the first point today we're going to talk about adultery now here's an interesting insight from 1st Corinthians which seems to go against everything we practice in the world in which we live. 1 Corinthians 6.13 says this, The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Wow, that's pretty plain, isn't it? That's what the Bible says. That's just clearly from the Word of God. I'm not sure that we need to review every form of immorality uh, that's in the world today if we can just agree that we are dealing with the spirit of matter of the matter more than the letter of the law if we can agree that that uh, jesus is here speaking to uh in fulfillment of the law not in uh writing new things about the law and underscoring new matters about the law jesus is here trying to speak to the to the principles of the law and so in looking at the spirit of the law rather than the letter i'm going to break it down into three levels First of all, we're going to talk about the act. The frame reference for those hearing this sermon was what they knew of the law of Moses and what they'd been taught by the priest in the temple. The reference that Jesus makes is the one we all know very well from Exodus chapter 20 and verse 14, where the Bible says, You shall not commit adultery. Now that's a very clear and obvious reference. If you want to stay with the strictest interpretation of adultery, uh, there is a simple standard. When a married person has intimate relations with someone other than his or her wife, that is adultery. However, don't forget this that Jesus is raising the bar. And so I believe with all of my heart that this includes all forms of immorality. Jesus is elevating the meaning of adultery. So he goes <coughs> beyond the act to the fact now what is the fact verse 28 but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart with this statement Jesus broadens our understanding of immorality altogether he kind of throws open the door and those people who were thinking about the the very simple reality of adultery Now they see something in a much broader sense. No one thinks that this is limited to the way that men behave around women. Of course, in the way that women interact with men. And quite frankly, in the day in which we live, and it was in Jesus' day too, but it's become far more open today. In today's society, more than ever, it includes the way that people from the same gender look at each other. It's a dealing with morality altogether. If you want to take a scriptural tour of immorality, we could probably do that. But as we stated earlier, included in this reality that the world world has always had a literal affair with immorality. The world has always had an affair with immorality. It's not limited to people who go to church. It's not limited to people who do not go to church. The world in general has an affair with immorality we push the envelope we've continued to push the envelope we'll push it even further and further and further until finally there is no envelope to push then we'll start writing new things on the page and on and on it goes the fact is that immorality is an issue in the world and one that we must consider and guard against that's what jesus is talking about here so you have the act and you have uh, the fact, well, then there must be some sort of a a pact. You have to come to some sort of an idea, something that you say, all right, this is how I'm going to handle this in our lives. Now, if we were of the radical ilk of some world religions, we would have a lot of one-eyed, no-handed people in the congregation because uh, what the world religions uh, practice, many of them would practice this very thing, some world religions. And, and the truth is that while I'm preaching I think to good people and I love you and I think the world of you and I respect you. The reality is I know that I never preach a sermon that is not applicable to somebody if not several somebodies and oftentimes me, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> more times than not <coughs> me and the congregation. Look, we have to understand that the intent of Jesus supersedes again the very letter of what he said the intent with these words was to emphasize the enormity of the problem in the day and of course it's even a bigger problem today if jesus said it's better for you to pluck your eye out than to have your eye offend you by looking uh, at at the opposite sex or at the same sex as far as that's concerned in a way that you shouldn't look it'd be better for you to be blind Earlier, Jesus declared a blessing on those who hungered and thirsted after righteousness. Now he declares the peril of those who crave the desires of the flesh. Now, how would we apply the eye and hand thing to our world today? You know, we, I, if, if we give an invitation, and we always do give an invitation, and I say, okay, all of you come to the front who has, uh, your eyes have offended you or you're, you, you, know, you're, you found an issue, your hand has offended you, and, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to have the deacons come down, and if you need your eyes plucked out, they're going to do it. And if you need your hands chopped off, uh, we have medical people here for you. <clears throat> we, we wouldn't do that. Obviously, we wouldn't do that. So what is the, what is the application? Uh, how would that apply today? Well, I think it would apply like this. It would apply to internet, emails, daily schedules, and on and on it goes. That's how it would apply today. Here's, if, if Jesus were standing up today and, and he would say, uh, I, I want to speak to you about this issue, here's what he would say It's better for you in this, this age of the World Wide Web to not have internet in your home than for it to offend you. In the age of this world wide web, it would be better for you not to have text messaging than for it to offend you. It would be better for you to have a dumb phone than a smartphone. If your smartphone is smarter than you. It would be better if if you and the, <clears throat> the best thing for you to do is just to take that out of your life. Remove that from your life. Remove that from your walk. Remove that from your temptation, if that's the way it's going to affect you. In fact, he spoke to this, uh, the Bible does in Romans 13, 14, the Word of God. But put on the Lord and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Now, that's the key. The key is in not providing for the flesh. Look, let, let, me, let me tell you this. Here's a, it's a real simple thing. If, if I had an alcohol problem, if I had an alcohol problem, I would not stop in a bar for a Coke. I just wouldn't do it. If I had a drug problem, I wouldn't invite all of my drug buddies over to hang out and watch the game. This wouldn't do it. And the reason is because I know what that's going to do. That's going to cause a provision for the flesh. You say, I'm going to call them in. I'm going to be strong. We've already talked about that. I think, I can't remember if it was a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night, <clears throat> but we've, we've already talked about that, how that in, as, as far as, as lust sins are concerned... We're not trying to resist them. We're run from them. And that's what this verse in Romans is saying. Don't don't make any provision for your flesh. Don't back yourself into that corner. Don't get into that situation. There there is a a power that the flesh holds over us that is hard to break. It, It is almost as if there's a compass that points us in the direction of the very thing that we shouldn't be doing. It's, it's almost like we will, it's like driving on the interstate and there's a wreck and you know that the wreck is what's created the, the slowdown on the interstate, everybody rubbernecking and looking at the wreck. And you say, why are those people rubbernecking and look at the wreck? And you get up there and you go, wow. <clears throat> Do you see that? You get your cell phone out and <clears throat> take a picture all that. Why? Because we're drawn into the things that we should be pushed away from. You, you say, well, I don't have that problem. And the reason I don't have that problem is because I've come to a place in my life spiritually where I'm just a better Christian than that. I just, I just have a better walk than that. I, don't, I, I, don't, I just don't deal with those things. Well, there's two things I'd say to you. One is you need to take a mirror and put it under your nose to see if you're still alive. And the second thing is, the best Christians in the world have problems with this. Here's what Paul said, Romans 7, 21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from the body of, this, of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. You know, one of the reasons that you should be in God's house and, and granted, this is, a, this is a day when going to church has become less and less and less and less and less. You know, this is a day when people, and, and it's been around for a while, but it's gotten more popular. I just, I just go out in nature and I find God. Well, I, I agree with you. I think you can find God out there. I think, think God's out there. But let me tell you what you can't, can't do. You can't have your moral compass worked on. Look, one of the, the, the reasons that regular attendance to God's house and fellowship with God's people and faithful prayer and daily Bible reading and all that is, is to true your moral compass. You're stepping into a world every day that has a moral compass going like this. In, uh, you have, in, in a moral, it's, it's spinning every single day. And there's got to be something inside of you that knows where true right points. And so you come to the fellowship of God's people and and the preaching of the Word in God's house and prayer and daily Bible study. And it it doesn't make you a perfect person, but it it recalibrates your moral compass so that when these things are thrown at you in, in the day and during your week, you know where the moral compass is supposed to point. If that's making any sense to you at all, nod your head, say amen, do something. You understand? <clears throat> that's why you do this. That's, look, friends, and I'm not trying to get everybody in church today, although I am trying to get everybody in church, but, <clears throat> but that's why not being in church for, well, I, I just, I don't know, I've just kind of fallen out. You can't, you can't let yourself fall out <clears throat> because the, the world's compass is pulling in every direction. And you've got to be cautious and careful about where your compass is pointing and the compass is calibrated in the fellowship of God's people and in the understanding of God's Word. That's raising the bar. So we see what it is to raise the bar on matters of adultery. Here's the second one. We're just going straight through the Sermon on the Mount. You don't get to skip this one. This was on the divorce. <coughs> Looking at verse... 31 of Matthew 5 and it also uh, it was also said whoever divorces his wife let him give her a certificate of divorce but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the grounds of sexual immorality (coughs) makes her commit adultery and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery now again I remind you that Jesus is speaking to people who had only the law of Moses in their frame of reference and and here's what he's going to show them he's going to show them the letter and then he's going to show them the better here's the letter i'm going to read to you what the law of moses has to say about divorce and before i do because of the way that it reads i'm going to ask all women to take your purses and and put under the seat and your hands on the back of the seat so that you can't find something to throw at me if 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 you're going to throw something, you're going to have to throw it at at Moses. This is the Levitical law here. This is not very honoring. uh, But it's a different day, a different time. You'll you'll be okay by the time we leave. Deuteronomy 24 and verse 1. When a man takes a wife, first of all, I know that's not really a very flattering thing. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if... And if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand, sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house. And if she goes and becomes another man's wife, the latter, and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house, if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife, Then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled for that is an abomination before the lord and you shall not bring sin upon the land that the lord your god is giving you uh, an inheritance now look much of the levitical law was just this confusing and one-sided and hard to follow we do not live under the levitical law if you study the Levitical law, and you study what Jesus had to say about it, he will tell you it was imperfect. In fact, in many places it was ludicrous. And the reason that it was ludicrous was to show people the impossibility of trying to live up to the law. That was one of the issues with the Pharisees. They not only took the law, they took it to the the nth degree. In, In my almost 40 years of preaching, I've had many people come to me trying to figure out whether they had a biblical grounds for divorce or if their husband or wife had a biblical grounds for divorce. Any biblical regulation for divorce and remarriage, just just hear this, and and again, don't walk away, let me finish. Any, Any regulation that speaks to divorce and or remarriage or whatever it may be is outside of God's perfect design for marriage. And I think I would say that truly half the congregation today, because this is just true, half the congregation, have, you, you either have been divorced, or you have divorce in your family, or you're facing divorce right now, or somebody in your family is facing divorce. It touches everybody. But the reality is that what God intended was what you intended when you made your vows, it is, the, the Bible, or, or we say in a wedding ceremony, that, that marriage should not be entered into lightly or unadvisedly, but wisely and soberly and in the fear of God. <clears throat> Any biblical provision for divorce is reasons for, uh, is, is for reasons of disobedience, not obedience. When, when God dis- established marriage, He didn't just automatically put with it uh, the laws for divorce. He just had the laws of marriage. Man shall leave and cleave, they too shall become one. That's the way that it is. Then there was this challenge to Jesus in Matthew 19, beginning in verse 3. And the Pharaoh, uh, Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and shall hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh so they are not uh, no longer two but one flesh what therefore god has joined together let not man separate they said to him why then did moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away and he said to them because of the your hardness of heart moses allowed you to divorce your wife but for the from the beginning it was not so so i say to you. Whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. Now, Jesus certainly <clears throat> knew the letter. But Jesus also understands the better. Jesus says, let's just raise the bar. If there is immorality, then there are grounds. But what that is still not the thing that is the most pleasing to God. God wants men and women to marry and to stay married, and to work out what's wrong between them. That's what God wants. And and again, I'm going to say this because I know that it's true. That's what married people want. You wanted things to work out. If you're divorced, you wanted things to work out. You didn't get married planning to be divorced. You just didn't. Believers... Many, but not all, are are very sensitive about this issue. Society has made divorce something of a norm. It, it is rare when a judge orders marital counseling. It used to be when I was growing up, if somebody's going to get divorced, the judge would say, "Look, before you do, I want you to go see this." Uh, counselor or this whatever and you need to deal with the counseling um, and because I, I don't want to grant a divorce I want to see your home break up and so forth and so on that just doesn't happen anymore to my knowledge it just doesn't happen the better thing is to hold to a strict code of marital commitment the reality is that such commitment is in serious decline a good half of all who marry will divorce and maybe more now and aside from what Jesus has to say on the subject, the only other thing I know from a biblical perspective is Paul's comments to the Corinthian church about the problem of a home where one is a believer and the other isn't. One decides they're going to go in 1 Corinthians 7, 15. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. If In such case, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. Now here, here's, let me get just real and we'll be done with this part of it. I've always found it hard to suggest to someone that divorce is the route that ought to be taken. I've always found that hard. I don't know. <sighs> I don't know that I've ever just flat out said you need to divorce that person. I don't know that I've, that I've ever just said that. If there's any way that it can work out, <clears throat> I, I want to see it work out. I will say, however, that though no one no one should stay in a house where there is a threat. their personal safety or the safety of their children i've had moms come to me and i'm not look this is not a big divorce counseling uh, section right here i'm just telling you the way that it is i've had moms come to me and say look we're afraid in our household we're afraid you know he gets drunk he gets high he does this he does that begins to shoot and and so forth and so on it's rarely the other way around it's usually a situation for the, the guy is doing... It's, it's rarely the other way around. It's kind of interesting. I was listening last night on my iPhone to a uh, police scanner. I was watching the, the uh, Seminole foot, football game and, and had the, um, uh, the sound turned down and was listening to the scanner. I didn't need the sound because I had my own opinions. But uh, <clears throat> I had that police scanner laying right there. And I was... I was listening to the, uh, to the police scanner from Nashville, Tennessee, and I heard something that I hadn't heard before. There was a call that came, came in, and uh, there's a call that uh, a man is being held hostage in a car by his girlfriend. <clears throat> They're going down the interstate, and she won't let him out. Well, first of all, I don't want to be let out going down the interstate. <laughs> I want you to pull over and let me out. <clears throat> but, I mean, this little saga went on for a while. And I, I you know, I finally went to bed before she let him out. <clears throat> he may still be on the interstate somewhere. I don't know. But, but I, I, <clears throat> I said all that to say this, that, that usually, not always, not always, but usually, The the woman is the one that that gets, you know, pounded in these things. The woman is the one that has this this difficult life. I I, want to be real careful about this. That Jesus raised the bar regarding morality in marriage, and we should as well. But we should also be realistic. And let me just say this to you. This church, this pastor... I had someone in my office this week, and in the course of a general conversation, I found out that this lady had, been, uh, had just gotten a divorce, and she began to cry. when she said It was so emotional for her. She began to cry when she said it. I said, wait a minute, hold up. I said, now I know that you didn't start out that marriage wanting it to end this way, and I want you to know that Pastor Ray loves you and cares for you, And and I don't want your life to be miserable. I want you to find a way to rise up and to move on. And that's what I'd say to anybody here. You've got to find a way to rise up and move on. Oh, my goodness gracious. I have had phone calls from people. And, you know, well, I've been married five times. And now I've gotten right with God. My first wife uh, is... uh, is married now, but I think that I need to be back with my first wife. Should I go back to her and ask her to divorce so that we can be right with God? No! Leave it alone. Go to church. Pray. See what God has for you. But let me tell you this, don't go messing up somebody else's life again. Just don't do it. That's probably enough on that. Um, you get the point. If you get the point, would you say amen? amen. Thank you. I would know a lot better if you do that voluntarily, by the way. <clears throat> well, Jesus has raised the bar on morality. He's raised the bar on divorce. And finally raised the bar on the matter of oaths. Something kind of unusual for today. Matthew five thirty three Again, you've heard that it was said, To those of old you shall not swear falsely but shall perform to the lord that uh, you have sworn but i say to you do not take an oath at all either by heaven for it is the throne of god or by the earth for it is the footstool or by jerusalem for it is the city of the great king and do not take an oath by your head for you cannot make one hair white or black let what you say be simple yes or no anything more than that uh, comes from evil Again, the Pharisees were notorious for for taking oaths. Uh, They they would swear, I swear by the God of heaven that this and so. By the God of heaven you shall not this and that. I don't like to hear people say by God today. I consider that swearing. I consider that a form of swearing. I'd much rather you use potty language as swearing language. There's two things about this. First of all, in, in regard to this oath, there's the seriousness of it. The serious people here is that the seriousness is that, that we are not in charge of the turns of our life. And so we shouldn't take oaths by the turns of our lives. People say, if I know my heart, you don't know your heart. So don't swear by your heart. You just don't know it. The Bible says the heart is is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Well, nobody can. Nobody can know it. To to offer an oath as as though we are uh, the power that can fulfill the oath is to diminish the power of God. Here's what James wrote in, in chapter 4 and verses 14 and 15. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you're a mist that appears for just a time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, "If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or, or that." Aside from the fact that God tells us not to do so, swearing an oath has no real—I mean, over which we have no real consequences—just demonstrates our lack of faith. We should not be self-sufficient. We should depend on God. We should walk by faith. And then the, beyond the seriousness of the matter, there's the silliness of it all. Jesus goes on to say, and do not take an oath by your head if you cannot make, for you cannot make one hair white or black. What's that all about? Well, it's about biblical living. All of us in every area should raise the bar of our lives and should depend on the God of our lives for the walk of our lives. Ours should be to conform ourselves the best that we can to the image of Jesus Christ. It really is WWJD, what would Jesus do? It really is. Let me close with this story. A Bible teacher tells of visiting Italy with his father, and here's what he writes. A highlight of the trip was visiting Florence, the great city of, of the Renaissance. One afternoon, out of curiosity, I went to a museum where uh, the, some works of Michelangelo were displayed. As we viewed the half-finished sculpture of St. Matthew, the tour uh, guide explained that this unfinished work was a prime example of Michelangelo's philosophy of art. He believed that in a stone, there was a, a stone... Uh, was a figure or a statue waiting to be released the work of the artist was to free the statue from the stone the statue was so lifelike that I I thought any minute Saint Matthew might step out of the huge stone as I looked at the half-finished statue I could see that the artist had begun to free the statue but had not been able to complete it the tour guide went on to explain that Michelangelo had a number of works that he had never finished as I thought about God's work in, in us I realized that God has begun a work in us to conform us to his image however <clears throat> unlike Michelangelo God does not stop working in our lives until he finishes what he intends to accomplish to Philippians Paul wrote and I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion to the day of Jesus Christ I, I think that To have us brought out of the big block of Christianity and distinguish who we are supposed to be before God I think we have to raise the bar and I think how we have to see how that if God said this can be true for a life we can say it can be true in our lives and we can yield to it in our own lives and then when we stand before the Lord and he looks at us and sees his completed work. We will be a confirmation of the fact that we worked with the master sculptor to be conformed and do everything that he wanted us to be and not yield ourselves to ourselves, but yield ourselves to the touch of the You've been listening to the Family Bible Hour, a broadcast ministry of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida, with your speaker, Dr. Randy Ray. Visit us online at nflchurch.com. Dr. Ray invites you to join him next week for the Family Bible Hour.